You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast produced by Veteran Strategies and featuring conversations with fascinating and impactful men and women who have shaped our world, our communities, and our history. My name is Robert Vane, Principal of Veteran Strategies, and your host for our discussion. You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmond Construction, the law firm of Bose, McKinney, and Evans, and the Bose Public Affairs Group, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. You may find all your sales and rental equipment needs at McAllister.com. We are pleased to announce our podcast is now a member of the All Indiana Podcast Network. In partnership with Wish TV, you can find Leaders and Legends at allindianapodcastnetwork.com. Thinking of starting a podcast or need to host a public meeting? Let Leaders and Legends LLC be your partner as you look for new ways to communicate your message. Please contact Chris Spangle and me at leadersandlegends.net. Thank you for joining us on the Leaders and Legends podcast. Our guest today is Sarah Taylor, whom I I'm very, very pleased to say that I've known for a quite a long time. She is joined today by Danielle Shockey, CEO, Girl Scouts of Central Indiana as co-host. We're thrilled to have you, Sarah. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you for asking me. Well, I'm going to turn this over to Danielle, but before I do, uh, when it comes back to me, just make sure you have an answer ready for how in the world did you get so lucky to land David Taylor? <laughs> Happy to. Go ahead, Danielle. Well, welcome, Sarah. And I have to say, fellow Girl Scout, I think that's um, fabulous that that's been a part of your story. And I certainly want to hear about that. And I know our listeners do as well. But there's a whole lot more to you than probably the Girl Scout background and a cookie that you may have sold. Although I hope it's, you know, like I said, somehow led to your success. But before we get to that, um, so right now you're the executive director of the Hoosier Lottery. And I bet a lot of people don't really understand what is the construct um, of, of the Hoosier Lottery within the state, you know, government, if you will, you know, is it an agency? Is it not? Um, what is the mission of the Hoosier Lottery? Um, again, I think some of us know in part, but maybe just help our listeners understand what that means to be the executive director of the Hoosier Lottery. All right. Well, I've been there seven years now, and our mission is to maximize revenue to the state of Indiana in a socially responsible way. So we're tasked with using our products, selling our products, licensing retailers, investigating any concerns. And in the end, after marketing and distributing those products and selling them, returning those monies to the state of Indiana. But the first thing we do uh, after selling the product is we pay the winners. So that's the biggest chunk of where our money goes. Uh, and then obviously a small amount to operations, but the bottom line really goes to the state of Indiana and we contribute through the Indiana legislature prescribes where we put those monies. And there are three funds. Annually, we give 30 million to the local police and firefighter pension fund, 30 million to our local uh, or our retired teachers fund, I should say. And lastly, the lottery surplus fund. And that was renamed uh, not too long ago through the legislative process 
formerly known as the Build Indiana Fund, but our monies in there primarily do the offset of the motor vehicle excise tax. So many Hoosiers remember maybe when they paid more, if you will, for their license plate, and now it is offset by those monies. There's also a little bit of technology money in there for schools and libraries. That'd be perfect. So being the executive director, you are responsible for all those things, but do you ever get to be a part of like the really fun winter stories? Like what I want to ask you is what's your favorite, I don't know, winner, if you will, that you've gotten to know their story? Well, it is fun to be a part of the winning experience. And as I said in our mission, we want it done in a socially responsible way. And so we contribute heavily to the concept of positive play and encouraging our players to know their game, know their odds, set their limits and stay within it. And that's important for us too. And we message heavily about playing responsibly and, and we take it to heart, we really do. And we love those winning experiences. And so all around in 92 counties, there are folks that might just be winning a free ticket, quite honestly. They might be winning a smaller amount off a scratch off. And then there are those occasions where we have someone come in that has, one multi multi million dollars and it is very exciting but the great thing about hoosiers and our winners are you know quite honestly midwestern practical common sense uh, they know to likely consider seeking financial and legal advice when it gets to a certain number you hear wonderful stories like i was getting ready to get a used car this allows me to think about, I might go ahead and get a new car. Uh, I'm going to add a deck on to my house. Um, now I'm, I'm talking uh, the, the medium wins, if you will. Um, the the multi-multi-million dollar wins, uh, we've had a Powerball and a Mega both in the three digits uh, millions uh, while I have been there. And it's just very exciting. And they usually set themselves in an incorporated or some type of entity legally to, to make the claim. But we get to hear the stories behind the stories. And folks are so sincere. They want to help others. They want to help their families. They want to do right by their community. Um, and like I said, just some of those wins that come in, whether it's a thousand or more, they just come in and they wanna just have a little bit of change. So we really champion their dreams, big and small, and we do it in uh, what we believe is a very responsible way. So favorite winners. Some of my favorite memories, we're 31 years old, if you will, and we were um, launched in 1989. But in our 25th year, we brought back the infamous Hoosier Millionaire Show. And it aired for many years. And we anointed a lot of million dollar winners on that show over the years. And the hosts and hostess were well known. And those were some, are some of my fondest memories is on the 25th anniversary, we took the road show out. We went around the state of Indiana, had some regional shows, had a final show at the state fair culminating in a win. And it was just awesome. People talked to me about that show. Now, it may be a memory that they sat and watched it with grandparents, you know, because uh, it's, it's not been viewed for quite some time, but we just have great nostalgic memories of those. And like I said, for the current winners now, it's just, again, I'm just so pleased that they can find um, joy in doing something a little different, whether it's getting 
one additional bedroom on a house they were already building or thinking about purchasing to um, just really smart decisions, you know, not that we judge, but it's awesome. Well, yeah, I, I appreciate what you said about Midwest. I would think that probably has a lot to do with it. What about, so does it sell itself? Or is there a huge amount of strategy that goes into remaining relevant? How does that work in something that it appears to be fairly successful? Obviously, you, you know, very good work for our state. Um, but yeah, how, how does that work for you? So the core products really are draw games and scratch off games. And they do, it's a product portfolio. And so there is brand management and there's management of that portfolio. And we have professionals that do it for us. And we also have subcontracts and others. So it's a huge team effort, involves lots of folks. And there is an annual business plan and a strategy to it all. And um, you do need to remain relevant and, and engaged. So the products, in some cases, change themselves over time. You change a price structure or a matrix to a draw game the types of scratch off tickets you bring. We have folks that just on occasion might stop in while they're getting gas, buy a $1 ticket. Um, and then we have folks that enjoy games with different payouts and price structures. We also have a $3 ticket area where, uh, price structure where it's a little bit, they enjoy maybe a bingo game or a crossword. It takes a little bit longer time for them to have that enjoyment or entertainment. And so we have products that fit into that $3 uh, price range. And so just over time, you get to know your players. We do uh, market research, as you can imagine, and focus groups and work with the advertising agency and the media buyers. Um, we um, have a long-term arrangement with IGT Indiana that we sourced uh, sales, marketing, and distribution of the product to. So they really are combing through what's best practices and what's going on the, in the industry overall and bring a lot of sophistication to those decisions based on data and sales. And so it is, it's a business, quite honestly. It's a quasi-agency to kind of reflect back on an earlier question you asked for us, so a separate body politic corporate to kind of legalize it, if you will. Um, but we have a lot of... Um, things that we beat to the same beat that other state agencies do. The difference is we're tasked with making money. And like I said, in a socially responsible way. How is, um, so I re, I, I'm old enough and I grew up in Indianapolis. I remember when the lottery started and we had the, the first scratch off at the gas station on the corner. <laughs> and in my memory, and I, I, I'm asking, is this a myth or not? I recall that it seemed like everybody was winning, like a dollar or a free ticket. And that that was in my, again, I was, I'm, I'm not gonna say how old I was then, but I remember thinking that's brilliant, right? You're gonna keep us coming back for more. Is that a myth or is it similar to the things they say about Vegas and the slots machines, right? You need to keep a certain um, formal lake component in the winning strategy. Does that uh, myth or not? Well, we are a game of chance and we have odds and rules listed on our website. There's information on the back of every ticket. We have a hotline. We encourage folks to familiarize themselves with all those tools. We also have a free mobile app and we're a game of chance. 
And like I said, we set those odds. We ask you to know that. So um, a $1 ticket has a certain type of payout, if you will. And a higher price ticket will have a higher payout, if you will. Um, and so that's kind of the strategy behind it, uh, how the ticket itself works in the product portfolio. Um, we do know that we have core players. We have folks that enjoy playing our big national draw games, Powerball and Mega Millions. Those are drawn twice weekly currently. And so they think, oh, when I'm out, I'm going to go ahead and get a ticket for tonight's draw or for this week's drawings. Um, and they might be very regular in it. Matter of fact, we have people tell us they play their parents' numbers or they play the birth dates or their favorite numbers. We also have lots of folks that say, you know, I'm not as familiar with it, but right now while jackpots are rolling and it kind of has captured some national media interest, how do I go about doing it? And they choose to do a quick pick, which just allows them uh, to have the computer, if you will, the random number generator, generate their numbers for that upcoming draw. And then we have uh, on the scratch side, like I said, folks that engage um, just on occasion when they're in and they happen to see something. We, we do on occasion have what are uh, tickets that, for example, we've had a Ghostbusters ticket. Um, you, you hear about tickets like Wheel of Fortune and other things that tie to bigger, maybe it's a second chance opportunity. Maybe they're going to Las Vegas if they win a trip. And so there's experiences and that kind of ties back to relevance. But I would simply say this on the ticket and, and your reflection back to, to when they first came out. It just depends on the tickets and the design, the price point and the payout on those winning experiences. Like I said, it's a long time ago memory and it was my feeling at that time and it might've just been my one gas station and the few, you know what I mean? So um, hope that wasn't too much of a question. No. So Robert, did you wanna chime in there with something you're laughing at me? No, I'm just, I wanted to ask Sarah very quickly and then go back to you, Danielle. Is, um, Sarah, have you ever been in line at the grocery store or the convenience store or the gas station and you're in a hurry and there's somebody in front of you buying $200 worth of lottery tickets and you're like, well, do I get mad or say, thank you very much for your support? You know, when it is, um, when we call it kind of that water cooler treatment or national media exposure when a jackpot's rolling and, and they start talking over, talking about it uh, in their daily show and we get uh, the earned media, that's the time that uh, I'll stop by our retailers. Pandemic has obviously um, enforced social distancing and rightfully so and, and people standing in lines and being careful. But uh, it is fun to stop by and make sure the retailers are doing okay and how the the players are doing. And, and often um, I'm not behind in, in the line, <laughs> hopefully. And um, yeah, that's, that's fun. I bet it drives your husband crazy knowing how impatient he is. Danielle, may I ask one more question? And then Absolutely. back to you. Yeah. Are people who work for the lottery, I have actually never played the lottery, Sarah. Very sorry. Forgive me. You're not getting any of my money. I have bought Girl Scout cookies though. Do people who are, are you prohibited from playing the lottery if you work for the lottery? We are. In Indiana, we have state law that prohibits us and our family, our household members, if you will, from, from playing the lottery. Um, when we're out of state, I know that I can look at a scratch-off ticket, and um, if it's not somehow tied to one that we're doing here where there's maybe a second chance prize out in Vegas or something like that, 
um, I could do it. I, I did not play the lottery before arriving uh, here. I had bought maybe one Powerball ticket for my now deceased mother-in-law, but at the time she enjoyed the lottery. Um, but I enjoy, people are attracted to them for different reasons. Like I said, the extended play of a bingo or a crossword, or they like it because it had a brand on there like uh, Ghostbusters. And, and the problem is I buy them sometimes when I cross state lines, but then I never scratch them. I just enjoy the art. And since I'm in the industry. Go ahead, Danielle, sorry. No, that's the, that was a good question. Actually, I love your question about standing in line. It's it, Yes, sometimes that certainly does happen to all of us out there. Um, Sarah, tell us a little bit about, so I think there's a couple, what I want to say trends, but online gaming, betting, sports betting that, you know, is new to us in Indiana, new to Hoosiers, relatively new. Has that impacted the Hoosier lottery um, and your revenue? Well, we obviously watch closely what goes on with, other entertainment, light entertainment type opportunities. Um, and we um, have had some good results these prior years and look forward to having another good year when we close our books at the end of this year. Um, and so you're always mindful of other choices that folks uh, have to make and you watch that in an in industry. Um, overall, in the lottery industry, some states' lotteries have different obligations than ours in the sense of a small number of them have been tasked with sports wagering, for example. Um, not many, but a few. And so you learn indirectly about it. But quite honestly, we stay in our lane. And our lane is selling scratch-off and draw games at our 4,400 retailers across the state of Indiana. And we do keep an eye on trends in our industry and in the gaming industry as a whole, just so we're aware. And is there a trend? Um, is the online betting indicative of an online trend that somehow could translate into anything with the games of chance, the Hoosier lottery that you would look at to the future or are looking at? Is that a, is that a model? Anywhere well, our, our annual business plan um, puts forth in these past couple of plans, especially about future innovation, just the idea that we do keep an eye on what's going on. I will say, as I think every industry that I'm aware of, this pandemic has had all of us reflect on consumer behavior. We work with many um retailers that do buy online, pick up and store of other products beyond ours, not ours. Um, and so there are lots of trends in the marketplace that we're keeping a close eye on. That's actually, I hadn't thought of that. Can you, in the COVID environment, have has there been allowability for the delivery of a lottery ticket with my groceries if in fact the, the retailer does sell lottery tickets? We do not currently have that process here in the state of Indiana. Um, just meaning that that hasn't been um, worked out with any retailer by any means. I think there's so many that are busy with just trying to rethink whether they're doing delivery or that buy online pickup and store for traditional products that some of the other, if you will, age gated products and other things were 18 and older, as you may know in, in our situation. So I think that They've got a lot on the menu to deal with first. Well, we, we have delivery of lots of things that are age-gated. That's a new word I didn't know, age-gated. Um, 
So I guess it's possible, right? That I could, there could be a, a delivery system with lottery. Well, one day you never know. Our, our, our bread and butter, if you will, really are the retailers. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I have to, I'm going to do a pitch for Girl Scouts right now. So Grubhub is a national partner. So to your point about COVID, you have to look at the way you do things. We would have never thought 18 months ago that you'd be able to order your Girl Scout cookies through Grubhub and get them contactless free to your house without a delivery fee. You know, so I mean, everything changes. So again, I didn't think it was possible there either. Yeah, it changed rapidly these past few months, hasn't it? Yes, it has. How about, so again, a, a cookie analogy, um, our bakers are looking at the sale of comfort foods ah. and telling us, right, that the trends in the market are that in the pandemic, that's up by like 27% the purchase of pastries and cookies. Hopefully it translates to Girl Scout cookies. My question for you is, are there similar trends in it's been hard. Leisure activities. I mean, I, I hadn't built a puzzle in my lifetime until 2020. Is there similar trends in lottery that people were using it as a, something to fill a gap? I definitely think that there are folks that have not been able to do other light entertainment, like we said, fun activities that they normally um, might enjoy. You know, I'm sure some people's travel schedules changed and other choices they've made. And so we have, if you will, seen an increase in sales in our scratch off products, especially um, in most recent months, not in the beginning, obviously, of the pandemic. But we were growing that scratch off ticket portfolio um, to be a majority, a great majority of our sales. Um, you have a little bit less control, if you will, when you belong to a national jackpot game like Powerball and Mega Millions to make an individual decision there. Really, you're making that collectively with other lotteries that participate in that game. And so you're dependent more or less on when those games roll over time and get to a larger number for what we would call folks that don't normally play or lighter laps. Maybe they just haven't been out or have chosen not to make a purchase. And so right now, just during this uh, recording, we happen to be in a time um, when we've got a couple of those games that are rolling at a higher number. And so we're now seeing some increase to the jackpot games. And like other things, sometimes when you're in thinking about one thing, you think about something else. And so um, currently we would say we're in a pretty decent financial position. Um, where we are in this current fiscal year. How important is the artwork of the scratch off to the purchase? I mean, is that, can you tell like what kind, actually maybe my question is what's the most popular scratch off right now? Do you know that? Well, you, you, it's kind of that old expression, maybe a grandparent would use, but you shop with your pocketbook or, you know, I'm going to use that expression. So it's like any consumer product. I mean, we know from the marketplace whether something appeals or not. We put out tickets. We'd like to think they're all gonna be winners, if you will, in our eyes. We like them for their artwork. We love the color. We love the schematic. We love how it's set up. We think it'll be attractive. And on occasion, it is not. And it is not out there as long as some of the others. We have a product line, if you will, kind of in the $10 price point called Indiana Cash Blowout. That's one example I'll give. And um, sometimes when prizes, not everyone is looking for a huge top prize, believe it or not. They just enjoy smaller winning experiences. 
and that opportunity at winning um, uh, an amount and getting, uh, perhaps they choose to buy another ticket and get another small amount, perhaps after some win, um, they enjoy that. And so we, um, not only is it the look of the ticket, or like I talked about the extended play where someone might enjoy that, that longer time to solve the puzzle, if you will, sort of, uncover the boxes. Um, they also enjoy the winning experiences. So some folks think, oh, if I happen to win, let's say $50 on that $10 ticket, great. At some point I might enjoy another one. It may be a non-winner, quite honestly. So what we do have on our one and $2 uh, price points, especially for folks that are new to playing a lottery scratch off, we have a second chance opportunity where if it's a non-winner, they can go and for free sign up at our My Lottery from our website. And My Lottery is like a loyalty club. Um, and it's really just meant for them to enter the tickets into a second chance drawing that we do once a month. And they might win a smaller uh, prize off a non-winning ticket. And that's pretty exciting. We also, uh, around August, had a chance um, on non-winning Powerball draw tickets to put in for a while. And we drew from there for folks to win a chance at being a Powerball winner for our New Year's Eve experience on Dick Clark's ABC Rockin' New Year's Eve. And we ended up with a finalist from Indiana and they were one of five that appeared on the show. And unfortunately our person did not make it across the finish line for the $1 million first prize of the new year person out of DC one, but we were excited to have a finalist out of Seymour, Indiana. That, that is fun. That's, yeah, the second chances are a lot of fun for sure. Yep. So uh, going out on the limb, when you were a little girl, you probably didn't say I want to be the executive director of a lottery. So how did you get from, how did you get to this role? What, um, and I know, I obviously I looked at your career path and it's been very, I would say customer oriented, um, you know, customer care of the, and the customers have changed. Yep. Is that still a big part of your world? It sounds like it is with the mission, but kind of how did you step through to the Hoosier Lottery Executive Director role? So I've had family members that were always expressing an interest in political issues, government issues. So that probably came with the territory as I was being raised in a smaller um, city here in Indianapolis. And they had, uh, were active. Uh, I enjoyed being active in numerous groups, including Brownies and Girl Scouts, also 10-year 4-H member and, and other organizations that the high school had. Uh, maybe in a smaller uh, situation like I was raised in, you had an opportunity to do a lot of things, sports and band and clubs and organizations, and you could still fit it all in your schedule. To this day, I look back and now kind of wonder, especially after... Uh, having my, my kids too, and knowing there's so many more choices nowadays too, uh, and the intensity of some of them and their focus obviously being a lot. But I enjoyed all those organizations. And then after I knew that in college, I was going to study more or less public service, an IU grad from the School of Public Environmental Affairs. And um, have enjoyed a focus on public service, which you're right, includes a lot related to operations and customer service, where uh, kind of that 
parlays itself into citizen engagement, parlays itself into player engagement. And um, the best part of being at the Hoosier Lottery really is working with winners and our beneficiaries. It's so nice to know that retired teachers, retired firefighters and policemen, if you will, are part of the Hoosier Lottery family in our mind. We, we feel a close connection to them. And so um, that's kind of one contact and government opportunity led itself to another for the most part. Well, thank you for all of your service and all of the roles you've had, which seems like a great way to bring Robert back in a little bit because you and he know each other through some government service. Is that not right, Robert? Yes, yes, yes. And uh, it's, it was a, a thrill to work with Sarah. Uh, let me thank the sponsors very quickly before we move on. You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmond Construction, the law firm of Bose, McKinney and Evans and the Bose Public Affairs Group, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. Sarah Taylor knew P.E. McAllister very, very well. Sarah, is there a particular Hoosier leader or legend you especially admire? Well, when I was Marion County clerk, everyone was kind enough to take me under their wing. But I do think back to my opportunity to meet Judge Sarah Evans Barker. And I feel like she was someone, whether she would know it or not, had obviously made a great impression upon me. And I've always enjoyed watching her career and her approach to things. And so I feel like I learned from her. There are so many of those that have helped me in the political and government side, if you will, because I really find that what I enjoy is that servant side, the public service side of this. So there were many folks that I got to know in those early days that always helped me make connections that just led from one thing to another. I know that you and I served uh, Mayor Greg Ballard together and I have great memories there. I have great memories of the county elected officials I served with and have just great respect for so many in this, in this service. I know sometimes um, on occasion there's you know a disappointment with a public servant, but I feel like day in, day out, it isn't not only the leaders, but the team members that we've had over the years in those various government jobs I've worked in and, you know, it's tough at times, but I've just met some great people. Let me get your impressions on one person I know you think the world of. Uh, Judge Sarah Evans Barker was a podcast guest of Danielle and I's. We had a terrific conversation with her. But let me mention another podcast, podcast guest we interviewed. Uh, and, and give me some thoughts about her because she's recently retired uh, from public service for now, perhaps. And that's Susan Brooks. Oh, my gosh. They're, you know, sad, obviously, to hear when she was ready to make that decision to leave her role. But I think back to her, too, in some of those earliest days when I was getting my feet wet here locally. And again, what a someone that just naturally gains your respect the moment they start talking, same as the judge. And um, what a sharp, sharp person, how talented um, both those ladies are, 
Susan, just what a great representative she's been for Indiana. Um, another rock star. I can't say enough great things about Susan. Absolutely. It's, it's a little bit of a leap for those of us who become enamored with politics at a young age. People, we sometimes joke and have conversations with people. What's the first thing you can remember? I can remember Watergate summer, summer 73. That's kind of like the earliest event I can remember. And well, perhaps Nixon isn't the best springboard to public service or interest in politics, even though I'm a big fan. Uh, that's something that you kind of nurture as you, as you grow older, but the leap from being involved in, being interested in politics to being involved in politics to putting your name on the ballot is Canyon-esque. What made you or who helped you decide to put your name on the ballot? I believe 1994 is when you were elected Mary, Marion County clerk. It was a great year for Republicans. Mm -hmm. Also saw the election of Scott Newman as prosecutor and a huge upset over Jeff Modisette. There had to be some real soul searching and a little bit of hesitation along with the belief that this is an opportunity for you. What was that thought process and who kind of said, come on, Sarah, do it. So I, I definitely have early, you know, political memories, but one honestly that probably resonated because of the age and time was just, you know, Ronald Reagan's election as president. So I kind of remember that point in time and then going off to school and, studying about public affairs and uh, like I said at SPIA. Um, I, my plan was to always hopefully work behind the scenes in government making a difference. And I could at times help on the campaign side uh, where needed and I also enjoyed obviously true public service. Um, and so was a little surprised when I was approached by a few folks that I had supported and or they had worked with me in campaigns to have an interest. I remember going home to David and just my husband saying, you know, they're, you know, I've kind of been asked if I've had an interest in running. And I was like, I had never thought of myself in that way. I had always been someone behind the person that had the elected official role, um, supporting them either in a campaign way or in a public service way. And, and my husband's like, haven't you been preparing for this all your life. Now, again, my life was still pretty short now. Uh, definitely. That's been a while. And it Were you at the sheriff's department. Let me ask you, forgive me for interrupting. Yeah. I'm very sorry. Were you at the sheriff's department working yes. there when you decided to run for clerk for yes. I thought so McAtee was sheriff, but yes, Cotty was the Republican nominee that yes. year for sheriff. So there was some continuity in county yes. government for you. Yes. And so I thought, oh, I might take a leave of absence and help with the sheriff's race in some way or, or just continue with public service. And so when it was considered um, whether I'd like to run with some of the other countywides to be considered, like I said, no, it was a shock to me. I think it was, I was so surprised that David recognized that maybe it was a good fit. Um, and so I just quickly sought out some counsel and, um, you know, there were the Rex Earlies of the world and Russ Brown and Jack Cotty and others that were active at the time. And John Sweezy was chairman and others. And um, the current office holder at the time was Faye Mallory. And um, so pretty exciting. Mayor Goldsmith and others were, um, you know, obviously heavily involved in the Indianapolis scene and various folks were kind enough to talk to me and or be 
folks that I look to for advice or just even the knowledge that they served and could I also be a part of it? Let me bring up the name of a previous podcast guest as well, who, who, if memory serves, was was instrumental in your kind of political strategy and approach and logistics. And that is the wonderful, amazing Lisa Dietrich. Oh, my gosh. There's so many names I hate to say because I'm going to leave people off, but Lisa is core too. Lisa right away, she actually had known my mother a little bit through uh, relationships with Mayor Hudnut, if you will. And um, so you come to town after college, you're trying to figure out where you're going to go and you meet with various people. And, and Lisa was one of those kind enough to, to take some time with me and then just jump on board immediately. Anytime I express an interest in something, she chaired my campaign committee I'm, committee. And I'm just very grateful. Uh, again, someone that works great wonders behind the scenes. I've learned so much from her. Um, and she's she's a rock star, too. It's amazing how many Republican campaigns she either ran or contributed mightily to while she was working for Ed Tracy. <laughs> and they got along great. They sure did. The Marion County clerk has more duties than than I can remember. <laughs> uh, when Doris Ann Sadler won the election as clerk in 2002 to succeed you, she hired me to run the elections to be the election administrator, which I did for five elections. But the one thing that struck me, I came from the state house working for a state office holder, but coming to the county and being involved in the elections, there is no office and no task that requires you to be bipartisan more than running the elections. How did you navigate that? And how much did that kind of help frame who you are as a public official? Because you have, just real quick, because you have a terrific reputation as, as working, kind of like Murray Clark does and Toby McClamrock and others, and, and Doris Ann, quite frankly, of, of folks who can reach across the aisle, come up with something smart, and then get it done. Well, thank you for that observation. And you're right, that, that county clerks are so core for those main duties, supporting the court, the collection of child support, and running the elections, and numerous other responsibilities. But obviously the ones that uh, hit the high points there. Um, and running elections at that point is not about politics. I mean, you know, I know that we're putting on an election that's going to <laughs> make a difference, but um, it is about getting it done and surrounding yourself with the right people. And luckily Marion County had a lot of folks with a lot of years of experience. Um, nothing ever goes perfectly as we like to say, you know, poll workers, are ill the morning of the election or a machine doesn't work correctly and these things happen but how you manage uh, those concerns uh, and issues and promptly and correctly is important and so um, I knew that it took everyone to make it happen and so it was important to forge those relationships and Kathleen Mullen was at the Board of Voter Registration and the Democratic member to that, and she just wanted to roll up the sleeves and get it done with us. And we worked well together with her and so many others just to make it happen, because at that point, there were over 900 precincts, um, less voting locations, but still you're running that many situations and it it's massive and a huge responsibility takes a lot of time and execution as you know i'm preaching <laughs> to the choir there 
Um, but it was important to have those relationships and people just stepped up to help on all sides. Katie Mullen, what a complete and total sweetheart. Uh, for those of you who know, didn't know her, she's Ann Mullen O'Connor's uh, mother and Dan Parker and Michael Connor's uh, mother-in-law. As, as hardcore a Democrat as you'll ever meet, she's sweet as pie. And I asked her one time, I'm like, you ever vote for Republican? And she just looked at me like I had asked her if she had robbed a bank. And I'm like, you wouldn't have voted for Lincoln? And she looked at me and she goes, never. <laughs> I loved it. How great is that? I learned uh, an awful lot from her. Did your time as your time as clerk did intercede with or intervene, uh, intersect with, excuse me, the Florida debacle in 2000? Yes. I have some hanging chads here. (laughs) I was given a baggie. Oh, you were? I'm serious. So how did you as clerk... Because I want to, I want to ask you to please articulate that into the Help America Vote Act, and and there's no system of voting is perfect, as you just said earlier. You couldn't hack the the lever machines, but they also weren't exactly the most reliable. So you kind of you kind of give and you get. What were your impressions of what happened in Florida as an elected official who is charged with seeing that? Because I just remember when I took the gig, and then I look and look at other people who have issues throughout the country. I just feel badly for them. Yeah, I mean, and that's why I said we we were all in an association together and and later, um, you know, as they're disposing of things, there's some of that stuff they sweep off the floor and they seriously put them in (laughs) clear little Ziplocs and everybody got a little little, uh, piece of that. And, um, you know, you watch it a little bit from afar, kind of holding your breath. I mean, we hold our breath while we certify the elections that when I was in those clerk's days, as you recall, those responsible, because so you're waiting to certify and then find out who's going to ask for a recount. And you want, when they reflect on all those records, you want voters and everyone to know that it was done with integrity and accuracy as much as a human <laughs> and technological component plays in there together. And I watched 2000 unfold, kind of not a front row seat by any means, but an inside knowledge on how things work. Uh, Each state obviously has its own election laws, but um, things work mostly in similar ways. And um, so it, it was scary, and our industry clearly knew that at that point, the federal government, through their le- or through our legislative representatives to Congress, were likely to make changes. And the Help America Vote Act came out and put a lot of uh, changes in place where it came to, especially election equipment, was at the heart of that matter. And um, we had to work through that um, locally, and then a Help America Vote Act. Uh, plan, if you will, had to be submitted here from the state to the feds and seek approval and funding. And from there, all those changes unfolded in statewide voter registration and in election equipment. One of the other functions of the Marion County clerk is to marry people. (laughs) Uh, Beth White famously uh, performed the first same-sex marriage in Marion County after the Supreme Court Act or Supreme Court decision. Uh, But you performed several ceremonies in your eight years as clerk. But the first ceremony you performed, the first couple you married was me and my first wife. 
And I remember meeting you and you saying, I have never done this before, so please be patient. And my response was, neither have I. <laughs> now, I've subsequently added that total. But <laughs> but do you, I mean, I wouldn't expect you remember performing that ceremony for, for she and I, but do you remember some of the folks you married and how fun it was? Because, you know, a lot of yeah. people get all dressed up. They put their wedding gown on. It's a big deal to be in the city county building. I, I do actually think maybe I remember that quite honestly. And I do, do, you know, it was something Faye had done. So it's at some point you kind of like, what, what's going on? Like what these people are showing up and they're showing up to the, if you will, our city county building, our courthouse, and they're looking for, you know, is it a judge in, in other old fashioned terms and, or not old fashioned terms, but terms in other places, justice of peace, you know, they're just trying to find an avenue that uh, is a public, you know, choice. And um, so at first I, I was a little hesitant, you know, it's so personal and um, I, I was a little concerned. So I will tell you, I, I did it for a while. And then I have to tell you, I kind of had to let go emotionally, but there were some fun people I met and it was just their choice and the timing. I think of folks that even just some of the military folks that we registered to vote before they were deployed or maybe marriages in those circumstances. And so, you know, I do have fond memories. There are one or two that said, I know we've done it here in the office, but my family's coming over Saturday. Would you come out and redo it, if you will, um, in an unofficial way, but, but to our family, they'll feel like they're a part of it. And I met a couple of great couples especially later in life, folks that were widowed and seeking um, another relationship. And I got to meet their families. I can name two or three still. And uh, so I do have some fond memories. Um, but I definitely, probably that was not my forte. After a bit of time, I was carrying over what had been done before me. And I kind of thought I'm going to shift directions. <laughs> One of the thing I want to ask you about, um, because I remember where I was, and we've talked about it before with other guests on the Leaders and Legends podcast. You were elected clerk in 94, you were reelected in 98, which were still kind of the, getting to the tail end, but but still the halcyon days of the Marion County Republican Party built by Bulin and sustained by Luger and Sweezy and Hudnut and Goldsmith, and the list goes on and on. But in 2007, Mayor Greg, Greg Ballard became mayor in his upset of Bart Peterson. Uh, Greg Ballard has talked about that night with us. Quite frankly, Bart Peterson talked about that election with us. I was working at Channel 8 with Susan Williams and Toby McClamrock and Jim Shella and, and simply couldn't believe what I was seeing. What were your impressions? I mean, you knew the county very well. You had faced the voters Maybe, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but maybe like a lot of us, you just figured that Peterson was going to be mayor for as long as he wanted, and then the Democrats would just run this county, you know, for a generation. But this this retired Marine came in and upset the cart. What were your thoughts just on that night and that election? Well, definitely, you know, lots of folks express an interest in serving and, and have good intentions and sometimes just can't get across the finish line based um, on politics or, or maybe an issue crops up. Um, and so that was an election that I wasn't as dialed in uh, on as I was so many others over the years. And, and so I was, I was surprised that he pulled it off, quite frankly. I do recall though the sentiment of the law enforcement community 
And um, I, I watched that a bit, um, their concerns, but with all due respect, and I've been married to one and have had, had other family members, you know, I do believe they're a large advocate group if you're a stakeholder group. Um, and sometimes that voice is really loud and, and sometimes it, you know, it ebbs and flows like other advocacy groups and, and they're a huge stakeholder and do such an important role in our community. And they had concerns as I recall. And so that was maybe where I was a little bit less surprised because the momentum there seemed like, like would you ever monitor that in the future, you know, as, as a litmus test. I had just left uh, from being communications director at the Indiana Republican Party, was working for a company called Shield Sexton. I'd been there seven days when Ballard won. I left Shield to be Ballard's uh, press secretary, communications person for the transition. And I remember them talking about you and, and you ended up taking a role in the Ballard administration ahead of constituent services. Did you ever think you would work for an Indianapolis mayor? And what was it like working for Greg Ballard? No, I did not necessarily think I'd be on the city side of services. I was always on the county side of services. Also wondered whether I'd ever end up at the state or not. The state is, you know, a large operation. And so I, I wasn't sure Marion County being our largest county. And um, obviously when I was around my clerk friends, they would say, oh my gosh, that's so many precincts or whatever. And I would say, no, no, or so many courts and, and registered voters. And I'd say, really, it's, we do the same things. It's just, just based on size. And so we just do it a little bit more for that many more precincts. It's, you know, it's really very relevant. The issues are the same, regardless of size in the case of, of performing those statutory duties or constitutional duties too. So I did not think that I would be on the city side. I always admired many of our mayors and, and, you know, would have helped if asked, but I just didn't see it. So um, when I received a call from the transition team, I think they were a little unsure about what exactly a role might be, but would I at least um, talk about it? And I remember saying, so tell me a little bit about the military side of him, since it's a huge part of his life uh, and his way of operating. I, I don't know if my way would gel, quite honestly, with with the guardrails that might come with that directness. <laughs> and they're like, no, no, you'll find that he's, you know, very approachable. And, and you know, I, I think you're gonna be pleasantly surprised to be honest. And so I said, well, I'll think about it. And I received a couple of calls from pretty important folks just saying, please think about it. Um, and so I remember coming in for a quick visit and still not 100% knowing exactly the fullness of the role and then pretty much there's going to be a news conference and here's exactly the title of the role and what you're doing and then they hand you a mic and say well what do you think about this and I went oh I didn't know that was on the list of duties but okay I will say I honestly thought someone would hand me a playbook when I got there and I remember putting in my car snow boots and equipment and things not knowing what we would be called out to do as cabinet members for the city in that winter. And Robert, I also remember you and I being around one day when unfortunately a tornado I think was, or something was being cited on the west side and a decision related to, should we evacuate? Should we distribute folks down to lower floors? You know, and 
I think you and I were there as, as cabinet members having a chat with the emergency management and the public safety team on where's the playbook on it exactly. And even though you go through numerous drills and big, big buildings like that, and we had a team that was, you know, equipped, you just, uh, that, that was a pretty concerning day. Fortunately, everything worked out just fine. Nobody could have predicted what a, what a terrific mayor Greg Ballard turned out to be. I thought he was going to get clocked by Peterson. His first year was pretty rocky, uh, but it's fair to say that, that Greg Ballard left the 25th floor where the mayor's office is uh, to almost, you know, you have to be pretty hardcore partisan, not to think that Greg Ballard did a terrific job as someone who was an elected official for eight years. What do you think of Greg Ballard's performance as mayor? I learned so much from Greg Ballard that I wish I'd known it before I was county clerk. His discipline and commitment to um, service, to performance would have been so helpful. And I, to this day, use, use it. I'm currently in a public manager course at Ball State to get my certification in public management. And we are currently studying performance measure. In our most recent course, we discussed city stat out of Baltimore and Atlanta's efforts uh, also on dashboards for performance. He created that indie stat program with Michael Huber and you know everyone taking the lead on that, but I learned so much from him on performance management, on you know, servant leadership and service. And so when Governor Pence was kind enough to have his team outreach about some opportunities at the state, those just really set you up well for um, being helpful to another administration in a different role because um, Six Sigma process improvement, the engagement of partners outside of the public realm, you know, at corporations and others to help us. I can cite numerous things that he did that were just unbelievable. And his hands-on approach, his, well, Winnie and Mayor Ballard are everywhere. And that was awesome. He was always, you know, as you know, always on the floor, if not out and about, and always could pop in your office or ask you a question and Got a couple of funny stories there where he has certain rules about PowerPoints, if you will, the military coming out in him, I think, in his leadership rules. And, um, you know, I once gave him a really big pitch to make a major change at the Mayor's Action Center, which rolled up to constituent services that I was the director of. And at the end, it was kind of like you could have done it in three slides or six slides. You know, <laughs> I had like 40 teed up because I wanted to really make that pitch. So I have great memories and respect for him. Last question before I turn it over to Danielle for her final segment. And Danielle's going to ask you the five questions. I'm going to ask you the same question I asked Susan Brooks. You ready? Yes. What's it like being married to a dream boat named David? <laughs> well, I love your husband. You have terrific kids. It's, it's a wonderful marriage. You know, I think the world of him, how important has that been? And just their patience and understanding that the of the well, I don't know about patience, but the the understanding of what you do for a living and the public demands of the jobs you've had. So opposites attract, for sure. In our case, we've been married thirty years. Uh, fall of 
21, so this fall. And I am sure he questions it on most days, but he's been a great partner. And like I said, he really was supportive when I came home about the clerk's idea because I, I just thought it was strangest question I'd received, you know, no way. So he's been very supportive. He's been very patient. He's taken on a lot of duties. Uh, these roles that we take on, obviously, uh, take a lot of time. And one of my favorite memories, and Robert, you'll appreciate this, when the documentary was being done about the elections in Marion County and how large the precinct is that I was in before it was divided, and David's role there as an inspector. So we went to see the show that night. And um, a lot of film of, of Doris Ann and you all running the elections. And he came out of there and said, I had no idea what you did for eight years. And that was just the election hat. <laughs> and even though he had been an inspector or a committee person, he knew some of the, you know, that work. But honestly, he walked away and just was, I think, respectful and amazed. Danielle? All right. Sarah, the same five questions for all of our guests. What was your first job? Well, babysitting, but I would say that I pushed grocery carts at Marsh in Greencastle, Indiana. And I also, in those days, they had glass bottles for Coke products and soft drink products, and those were to be returned. And so we had a responsibility for returning those bottles and we would go out in the parking lot and get the carts. And that was not when there was any equipment to help you bring the carts in. And we also sacked groceries. So my official title was probably sacker. <laughs> and we sacked groceries, dealt with returned glass bottles for soft drinks and pushed carts. Okay, perfect. How about your first concert? Oh gosh, Billy Joel was one of them. I found a couple of tickets the other night. Uh, I should have probably had those out handy. I have them in a little bit of a scrapbook now. Um, but I saw Billy Joel at DePaul. Um, I went to Purdue a couple of times for concerts um, from Greencastle and definitely over to the State Fair for a couple. But I'm going to go with pretty close to Billy Joel. Probably not a bad place to start, actually. How about a book you would recommend? What's a book you love that you think others should read? Oh, well, I'm a mystery reader. As a child, was a Nancy Drew fan. Um, and I'm reading quite a bit right now with um, this course with Ball State. So First Break All the Rules um, is one that kind of comes to mind. I saw a teaser the other day on book TV about one about conscious leader, the Whole Foods gentleman, and your purpose on why you do what you do and doing it conscientiously to many purposes. So I might pick that one up. So I, I don't think I'm going to give a recommendation. I'll just kind of know, let you know what I've been reading, if that's okay. Well, and that's kind of a teaser. We shall go check out that to come book. Um, what about if, is there a moment in history, Sarah, that you, if you could be there in person and witness it while it happened, what event would you have chosen? Oh. I'm glad no one told me of this ahead of time, or maybe I should be upset. I purposely chose not to listen or know, just so, so we're <laughs> fair about this. No, we like, we like the thought process. We yeah. like to hear the guests turn it over in their mind because there's so many great options hopefully for all these questions. I'm 
a big reader of historical fiction, I would go to London and I would go before or at the beginning of the women's suffrage movement. Very fitting as we just wrapped up the 100th, 100th anniversary. Yes, enjoyed that celebration. Enjoyed also seeing a bit of it over in, in London when I had a chance. All right, last one. If you could have dinner two hours uninterrupted with someone living today, Whoa. who would you choose? I think I'd choose Governor Holcomb. Speaking of a history nut. And Lincoln, Lincoln. Yeah, so I, I would love to see his collection. Oh, of the presidential signatures? Of the presidential signatures, and I would love to spend that time with him. Well, maybe he's a listener, and maybe from that, you will get a lunch invitation. Because, Robert, I don't think anybody's ever said Governor Holcomb yet, have they? Nobody said Governor Holcomb yet, but but I'm an unabashed fan. He's a terrific person. He's a veteran. He's a history nut. And quite frankly, I think he's doing the best you can absolutely do, given the current turmoil. I really enjoy working for him. And I enjoyed my service, obviously, to Governor Pence and to Mayor Ballard and all those before. What about when you you and I both worked for David Wu? Did you oh, enjoy God. that service? Thank goodness Marion County had David Wu. <laughs> I remember sitting on a, a difficult election day where for just a moment, the truck hadn't returned with the supplies. And David finally felt like, oh, it's taking a little bit longer than it should. He better call me. And I remember going outside here on a step and almost having a moment of a tear, like, oh boy, this is not going to be good. And luckily a short time later, it was, it was on its way. It just had one little stop that they shouldn't have stopped for. And I don't even recall the stop, but it's just, they're supposed to come directly. I'm sure someone had to go to the bathroom or get a drink, but still <laughs> it's important you return and return timely with those. And so I remember David Wu calling. It's a fun memory. You have been listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise, and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmond Construction, the law firm of Bose, McKinney, and Evans, and the Bose Public Affairs Group, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. Our guest today has been former Marion County Clerk, former top official in the Bowd administration, Sarah Taylor. Thank you so much, Sarah, for coming on. Danielle, as always, thank you for co-hosting. Thank you very much for listening to Leaders and Legends, brought to you by Veteran Strategies Incorporated. If you want to contact us about this program or our menu of public relations services, please send us an email at robert at veteranstrategies.com. That's robert at veteranstrategies.com. Mm -hmm.